Hi, friends. Welcome to Reframing Neurodiversity. I'm your host, Melissa Jackson, and I'm here to tell you it's time to see neurodivergence for what it truly is, a gift that benefits us all. As a former teacher, mom to two neurodivergent kids, and as a neurodivergent person myself, I know it's possible to see your neurowiring in a new way. That's why I'm on a mission to reframe the way we view neurodivergence as a collective and to empower us as neurodivergent adults and parents with the language and tools to advocate for ourselves and our kids. Join me each week as my guests and I share our personal experiences paired with cutting edge research, leaving you feeling seen, validated, and proud of the way your brain works. Ready to get started? Let's dive into today's episode. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Reframing Neurodiversity. I am your host, Melissa Jackson, and I am so excited and honored to be here today interviewing Julie Skolnick, founder of With Understanding Comes Calm, mother of two e-children herself, and author of the newly released book, Gifted and Distractible, just to name a few of Julie's accomplishments. Thank you so much for being here, Julie. I'm so glad to be here, Melissa. Thanks for having me. You bet. And right before we were recording, we were talking about how we connected. So it was funny, your publisher actually reached out to me and graciously sent me an advanced copy of your book. And then I read it and I was like, this is amazing. And then I looked you up on Instagram and I realized you're with all these faces that I know. (laughs) And (laughs) And then I realized, okay, I think it's a Bridges Graduate School thing. We have a big Venn diagram going on. We do. We do. So it's fun to to connect with you here in person. So one of the things I really loved about your book is how accessible it is for Tui parents. And I think that's something that's so needed right now, as we both know, as mothers of Tui children, those concrete examples and action steps we can take as parents are just gold. And there's so much of that in in your book that I want to dive into, but let's start with defining what is giftedness, I think in order to understand twice exceptional or 2E, we have to first understand giftedness, right? Because I feel that there's so many misperceptions around what it means to be gifted, which I think many people have this perception of giftedness that maybe is confused with high achievers, would you say? Yes, I would. Can you differentiate between that? Because I feel like that's the image so many of us have in our mind of that's what gifted is. Yeah. Yeah, I love that you do that because most people think when they hear gifted and distractible, they scratch their head over distractible. Like, Julie, what do you mean by distractible? What what does that mean? And that's really like a very big umbrella term that covers all of the conditions and diagnoses and all the things. And gifted, though, is the thing that most people have assumptions about, but don't really know. So gifted is this way of coming to the world with sort of a deeper thought process, critical thinking. It's why processing speed and executive functions are challenges because there's so much more data to crunch because it includes high intellect in some areas. People say, if you've got that going on, then It must be easy, easy to be taught, easy to be parented. You can all start laughing. Easy to like organize. Life is simple. You have no reason you should complain or as a parent or as a teacher or as a provider when it's so complicated because everything is more intense. Hmm. So there's existential thinking. There's paying attention 
to what's going on around you environmentally, politically, humanistically, in a much bigger, broader way. And on top of it all, you're five. So nobody of your peers are paying attention to the same things as you. Or you're 17 and nobody's paying attention. And then you're weird. It's a different way of approaching the world than most people in the world. It is a special need. It's something different than the norm, very different than the norm. Yeah. And I love the way in your book, you describe it. You reframe from slow processing speed to deep processing speed, which I adore because it's such a more accurate reflection of what's actually going on with these kids, right? Like I think so often we think, oh, because they're taking more time that has something to do with intelligence or, or being quick and doing things fast makes us smarter. And the truth is these gifted kids and twice exceptional kids are processing the world around them so much more deeply. And when we can say it in the way that you reframed it, I just think it's such an eye-opening experience that gives us more insight to what's actually happening with the kid. And when you think of it that way, you realize why executive functions can be weak because there's just way more data to crunch. Exactly. One of my questions that I ask, particularly when I do a talk on giftedness and ADHD is, if this kid was exhibiting this behavior as an adult, would we then value this behavior? I love that. Because like you're saying, we want people who are going to think deeply and critically about their work and what they contribute in the world. And so flipping that to see this as a strength, as opposed to something that is a weakness is a really great shift in perspective. So this leads into why is a strength-based approach, do you think so critical for our 2E kids? Yeah, that is probably the most important question because- I see our kids. And like you said, I raised three awesome 2E kiddos. They're 22, 20, and 14 at time of this interview. And man, layers upon layers of mud are thrown at our kids. They're misunderstood. There are assumptions made about them. If they're intellectually overexcitable and have a rage to learn, people think they want to show off everything they know. If they're emotionally overexcitable, people think that they are too sensitive. Get over yourself. If they are sensory or sensually overexcitable, people think they're making a big deal and the parent is coddling them. And what do you mean your kid can't walk into your kitchen because of the smells of cooking food? Get over it, right? All these misunderstandings happen and assumptions happen, which are worse than just not understanding. When you misunderstand, when you say somebody is trying to be the center of attention, when they're just super curious, what's going to happen? They're going to learn real quickly. uh, I better not be super curious anymore because it only gets me negative feedback. Yeah. Right. And the masking starts. hundred, hundred percent. So that's why it's so important to use a strength-based lens and say to this kid, wow, you're so curious. And then there are ways that I teach parents and teachers to address challenging behaviors. It always starts with building the child up and finding the positive thing. It's my favorite thing to do in the world is to positively reframe challenging behavior. And then we have to help the kid become a leader and help us solve the problem. So I call it the parent pivot or the teacher twist, where we we ask questions instead of telling them all the time, sit down, face forward, do this, do that. Our kids are asked so many times, why won't you? Why can't you? When will you? Why don't you? That's the song that they hear. We know Sue Baum at Bridges Academy says 40 times more. That's how many times neurodiverse kids are redirected 
in a classroom, 40 times more than neurotypical kids. So that feels pretty yucky. Yeah. And that makes so much sense when you're saying that, why these kids so often struggle with emotional and mental health stuff. It's like, if you're constantly being told something's wrong with you all day long and being redirected, it's going to impact the way you feel inside, right? And then if they're more emotionally attuned and have these nervous systems that are more sensitive, that internal world can be really tough for these kids. And not only that, you come home and a parent because they love you so, so, so much and only want you to be happy, unfortunately asks the worst question, how was your day? So what should parents ask instead? You know what? What do you want for a snack? How yeah. about that? Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. and was anything interesting today? Mm-hmm. What did you observe today? What piqued your interest today? What What did you notice today? Questions yeah. that have no positive negative. Right. The just observing too, you mentioned in your book, that spotlighting and observing their behaviors is this form of validation in an interesting way I hadn't thought about before until I read your book. I love how you also talk about one of the number one strategies for parents is connection with our kids and how when we have that foundation, like you're saying, of seeing them, validating them and holding space to be present with them, that's really kind of one of the first steps as far as what parents can do to support their child. Can you speak more to that? Yeah, sure. Personal connection is the first A1 number one thing to do because you could have the greatest strategies, read all the books. And if you don't have a personal connection, it's not going to work. And the other flip side is true as well. So there are a bunch of strategies that I teach for personal connection. One is shining a spotlight, like you talked about, which is spending plan on 15 minutes this week. I don't care when and plan it with your kiddo, just one kid at a time, no screens and do something they want to do and just play the role of a newscaster or a narrator and narrate what they're doing. So Mm -hmm. if they're building with Legos, you're going to notice that they're building with a certain color. Oh, you're building with all the blue Legos. I see you're only using blue Legos instead of saying, hey, why don't you do a pattern like blue, white, blue, white? Instead, you're just noticing what they're doing. Oh, it looks like you're building a rectangle. And then you notice that they have their matchbox cars next to it. And you say, oh, I, I, it looks like maybe you're making a garage. But if the entrance to the garage isn't big enough, you're not going to teach or judge or redirect or help or solve like we usually do. Mm-hmm. Instead, you're just going to notice stuff and let them figure it out on their own. You just want to shine a spotlight because seriously, guys, when does anybody spend 100% of their attention on anyone? I also really love setting up what I call win time, W-I-N, which stands for what I need. So you talk during a calm time to a child and you say, hey, I notice sometimes when you come home from school, it seems like you're not feeling great. Notice I avoided any judgment, like you're in a bad mood, you're mean to your sister, you're whatever. Instead, I'm just going to notice a time when maybe they need some support. And I'm going to say, let's let's take just a little time. I'm going to write it down. Just brainstorm everything you wish you had in that moment or that you think could help in that moment. And if the kid says like a banana split the size of Texas, write it down. They're brainstorming. And guess what? That's an executive function is thinking about these things and organizing them and prioritizing them. And so start listing all the things. And if they need water or a bar or to call grandma or they have the sound canceling headphones or music or something to punch or something to kick, something to touch, some sensory thing. If there are small enough things like a Rubik's cube or one of those timers that are pretty cool to look at, 
you put them in a box, which is now your wind time box and you can decorate the box and then you can put it in your wind time corner or you could call it your Zen Den or your chill island. When you do these types of exercises and have these conversations with your child, the reason why it's under the heading of personal connection is they feel seen, heard, validated, acknowledged, and you're helping them to feel better. Yes. Oh, I love this. Yeah. On that note, I also talk about, as you know, pillow talk time, which Mm -hmm. I think is really important because it's time set aside at night. You structure it and set it up with your child only if they want. And then, you know, each night you can say, would you like pillow talk time? And that is a time reserved for them to talk to you about anything that's on their mind and for you not to solve their problem. Mm which is so hard. <laughs> so hard cuz you yep. want to like all the people are mean and on the playground it sucks and and people are yeah. mean to me and you want to be like okay I'll call the teacher okay I'll do right. this okay have you tried this okay did you do this and instead what I'm telling you guys is our kids have buckets of resilience and they're either full or they're empty and they also have huge amounts of feelings and in order to fill the bucket of resilience you have to empty all those big feelings in some way. And when you have pillow talk time during the day, something's yucky. You can think to yourself, oh man, yeah, I know I have pillow talk time coming up tonight. So I can kind of handle this and and ignore it until then. Cause I know mom, dad, parent is going to listen. And by the way, this is for all ages, right? You don't have to actually have your heads on pillows. It could be, you know, having a call with your college kid. Yeah. This makes so much sense to me because even as an adult, like I think, if you had a bad moment and you knew you had that person at the end of the day that you could share and vent and feel seen, it's like, it's a self-regulation strategy almost like knowing you've got that space to feel seen yeah, and, and that the person's not going to be like, Melissa, did you try talking to that person? Right. Yes. <laughs> Which I think so often as parents, we come in and we think we're with the best intentions, we think we're helping by trying to fix or provide solutions when so often what they really need is just to have that space to feel seen, their experience validated as real. And that connection really allows for us to then step in and and support them and do all these other things when we have that first. And, and here's the problem with solving your kids' problems. The message you're sending is, I don't think you can do this. Yep. Yes. Yes. So I have clients who will, let's say they need to order lunch online. They do it for their kid. They have to take medicine. They structure the whole, they wake their kids up in the morning and they come to me and they're like, oh, no way. I can't, if I don't wake them up, then they're not going to make this school. And if they don't make this school, then I'm late to work. And no, no, no. And I'm yeah. like, we're we're going to structure this up. You do not need to be waking your child up who's, yeah. and I've had 16, 14, nine, all those ages, they can get up on their own. You just have to structure it for them. And by the way, the more they do for themselves, the more responsible they can feel, the more they feel like they can do stuff, the more agency yeah. that you actually help them build. Right. And it's that long game. It's like, oh, yeah, realizing, yes, that we're building these skills that build resilience and confidence, even though it's easier in that moment sometimes to just do the thing yourself. Oh, yeah, 100 percent. And thank you for bringing that up, Melissa. It's not only the long game, but each conversation you have to set up the structure, it's not like one and done ever. Right. It's it's a little bit here. You read the room. You see the kid is flooded. You're done. You move right. on, you come back to it again. And also, by the way, not only is time important as far as how much time, but timing is important. Yes. Please, 
please, please do not take your child to school and go, did you remember? Don't forget. Did you have this? Do you do that? What are you going to do? When are you going to? My goal every morning with my 14 year old is to make him laugh so hard that he tells me to stop or he'll pee in his pants. That's my, my best. (laughs) That's my, that's my goal every morning is to make my kid laugh because that means he's got great endorphins in his body and he's on his way to school. I know we think if I remind him 75 times to not forget his whatever, that I'm going to make his life better, but that stuff has to be figured out between teacher and kid. You're the one who's going to make your kid feel good in his, her, their skin. Yes. That's what's most important. Yes. And so often as parents, it's getting honest about the stuff we're anxious about within ourselves, oh, yeah. right? Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> it's so easy. It's like it makes us feel better to remind them 10 times. But when we step back, is that really supporting them in the situation? Right. Or to ask them how their day was so that yes. you could hopefully hear that it was good, right? Right. I talk about in the book, Melissa, I know you know this. I talk about the three parenting patterns and parenting yeah. styles that I notice. The talker parent, because gifted kids come from gifted adults. So I'm just going to talk the heck out of this kid because somewhere in my thesis here, they're going to click in and get it where, where basically after word five, they're checked out. But so we have the talker parent, we have the anxiety parent. Oh my God, my parents never would have let me talk to them this way. Or, oh my God, I see the the train coming down the track. It's about to crash. I'm going to jump in front of it. Yeah. Or we have this, the, the doer solver parent who's going to just solve the problem, make yeah. it go away. Yeah. 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 And it's uh, so much of that is our own patterning, right? That our parents did with us and breaking those cycles and being able to look at the kid in front of us and get curious about the individual because so often our two E kids are just, one is not like the next, right? And I feel like I know with, even just with my own children, they're both two E and so different. And it really takes getting curious about who is this kid? What do they need? And as teachers, as parents, just adults in these kids' lives, it's that curiosity piece and being present that I feel like is just always step one. You have so many tips for parents that they can apply. So what would you say are like the top like game-changing things parents can do when they're just in it? What are your top go-tos? So first of all, I want you to visualize like an enormous red pause button. Very little has to be addressed immediately. Your kid running across the street, yes. Your kid learning about drugs and alcohol and driving, yes. Or like, God forbid, there's physical violence, which happens a lot in Tui families. Those are really important things. So let's press the pause button. Let's drop the rope. That's one of my favorites. Whether your kid is 7,000% wrong, in something they're saying, getting into a power struggle with your kid is a fabulous fast track way to kill your relationship. Yeah. So there's not really a reason to prove them right or not let them get away with it. We pause, we let go of the rope. Maybe we do something that's like a distraction, but we're not going to get into a power struggle. Yeah. I always say that There is no magic bullet, but the secret sauce is my strategy called noticing verbs. It has three steps. One is decide on the behavior you really want to encourage. Then this is really important. 
you have to make sure you understand the difference between a responsibility and expectation. So the responsibility of clean your room, many people say, my expectation is that you will clean your room. Mm -mm. That's a responsibility with lots of expectations around it. Because if I'm the two kid and my parent says, clean your room, I'm going to go, okay, well, obviously they do not mean pick up the 5,000 Legos on the floor because I'm in the middle of an epic Lego build. So that can't be part of cleaning up the room because I don't understand what you're talking about. Remember, easy things are hard and hard things are easy for two week kids. Brush your teeth, 99.9%, maybe 100% of my parent clients brushing teeth, it's a challenge. Yep. Also why, knowing why behind a demand or request, knowing why is super important. And then all of the expectations, are you supposed to brush your teeth once a day with toothpaste for 30 seconds, two minutes in the bathroom, in the dining room? Right. Like, I know you're like, are you kidding? My kid's gifted. Okay. But he, she, they are paying attention to something way more important than these things. Okay. So if we're noticing verbs, number one, we identify the behavior. Number two, we make sure that our expectations around that responsibility are clear, concise, consistent, and appropriate. And then when our kids successfully does it, here's the magic. You notice all the verbs, not thanks for brushing your teeth. And I don't want anybody to say thank you or I'm proud of you because then they're doing it for whom? For me, I want to say, hey, when it was time to brush your teeth, I saw that you, verb number one, went upstairs, verb number two, went into the bathroom, verb number three, took the toothpaste out, verb number four, opened the toothpaste. You put the toothpaste on your toothbrush, you put the toothbrush in your mouth. I saw you brushing all your teeth in the front, on the sides, in the back, you brushed your tongue and I saw you had a timer. Oh my gosh. Talk about shining a spotlight and feeling seen. We're noticing efforts, yeah. all the verbs. And because we're redirected to we kids are redirected 40 more times than neurotypical peers, noticing efforts feels really good. And your kid might actually thank you. And by the way, when I work with two adults, I tell them to do this for their partner or their spouse. Go through and say all the things. Hey, you know, after dinner, you came over and picked up my plate and you brought it over the garbage, you scraped it off, you rinsed it off, you put it in the dishwasher for me. Notice I'm not saying thank you or I'm proud of you. I'm noticing effort. And noticing effort, does that validate for them inside their efforts and make them oh, feel yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I, yeah. I remember one time my now 20, but he was... I think he won. I want to say he was 13 or 14 came home and my expectations around the after school routine responsibilities, my expectations were that, and I noticed these, Hey dude, I saw when you came home, you walked in the kitchen, you put your lunch bags on the Island. You opened your lunch box, you threw out the garbage, and then you walked over to your desk, you pulled out your homework, you sat down and you started to do it. And he was like, thanks mom. Yeah. It was so fascinating that he thanked me. Yeah. But so how great is it when, yeah. That, yeah. Yeah. If your boss was like, hey, thanks for the uh, paper or the description or the, the finishing that project, that's one thing. But if your boss says, hey, this project required a lot of research. I saw you spending late nights in the library looking up all of the information that you needed to put. And I saw you working with your assistant to try to get this organized in this linear way. And then I noted that you took the time to put all these visuals. At, like, Wow. 
Wow. Does that feel good? I'm seen and appreciated and valued. Yeah. And all of those feelings make us want to engage in those positive behaviors more, right? When we feel like, oh, I'm acknowledged here. Like I'm, my efforts are being noticed. You're filling the bucket of resilience, which means when a hard thing comes up, you actually might be able to handle it better. Yeah. Which is so much of the meat of the strength-based approach and how we by building kids' confidence, by giving them the opportunity to engage in things they're good at, things they're passionate about more, when those things inevitably will come that are that are sticky and harder, yeah. we can move through them with a bit more ease, right? Totally, totally. Yeah. 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 Well, thank you so much for being here, Julie. I loved chatting with you. Tell me a bit about where people can get access to your amazing book with all of the 200 pages of (laughs) applicable tips and your organization with Understanding Comes Calm and any of your offerings where people can find you. Sure. So thank you for asking that. So with understandingcomescalm.com is the hub. That's the website. There you will find a parent page which talks about all my one-to-one consultations, which I do with thousands of clients all over the world. So it doesn't matter where you're hearing this wonderful podcast. I can do it virtually. Or if you happen to be in the Maryland area, sometimes I meet clients in person. Um, You'll learn about my free newsletter, also called Gifted and Distractible. It comes out weekly. The first week is my blog. I've been writing a blog a month since 2014, and you can see all of those also on the website. You can search under a term like overexcitability or ADHD or challenging behavior um, or even noticing verbs. And so the first week of the Gifted and Distractible newsletter is a blog. The second week are articles for all of my stakeholders. The third week is the vlog. And the last week is what we call the WUC Roundup or With Understanding Comes Calm Roundup because I speak all over the place. So it's where am I speaking and where are 2E and gifted events happening? So the newsletter is really something if you get the newsletter, you know all the stuff and you'll get information about the Haystack membership or the course that we're launching in February to go along with the book. As far as the book is concerned, you can go to giftedanddistractable.com, which will take you to a page on my website, and then you can click on your favorite bookseller, or you can just go to your favorite bookseller, or to Penguin Random House, who published the book. I always say to people, Melissa, if you're going to withunderstandingcomescom.com, pack snacks. There's a lot of free stuff there. So spend your time listening to all the podcasts, reading all the articles, and just looking through in general, and you'll even find on-demand conferences that I've produced that you can purchase for not a lot. Wow. Amazing. Thank you so much for being such a wonderful resource for this community and all of your wisdom here today is so appreciated. So thank you for being here. Thank you, Melissa, for spreading the word. Yes. (laughs) Till next time. Thanks so much for tuning into today's episode. Remember to subscribe and review so you don't miss a thing. Is your child struggling to thrive in their current classroom setting? Then you need to head to the show notes to snag my free shareable pamphlet for your child's teacher. It breaks down how to create equitable learning environments for all students based on the leading research in the field of neurodiversity. Because what benefits neurodivergent students benefits all kids.